All right, today we're going to finish up our study on the power of encouragement. Uh, It's been definitely good for me. I hope it's been good for you, but this pastor needed to spend time studying scriptures about encouragement. And today we're going to go to uh, one of those characters that's just hard to escape when you look at the subject of encouragement. If I were to ask you who in the New Testament embodies encouragement, somebody would be able to say, Barnabas. All right. So take your Bibles. Let's turn to the book of Acts. We'll start with chapter 4. He is all throughout the book of Acts. We're going to talk about encouraging people toward kingdom success. And the story of Barnabas is all over the book of Acts. We'll, we'll be flipping pages throughout the book of Acts and, and talk about encouraging people toward kingdom success. So thank you for standing as we open the Word of God together. Let's look at verses 36 and 37 at the end of chapter 4 here in Acts. Acts of the Apostles probably would be better named Acts of the Holy Spirit. It says, uh, Joseph, a Levite and a Cypriot by birth, whom the apostles named Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. We're going to see this name as a transliteration in a moment, but it's interesting that Luke, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, translates it son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Father, we thank you for the example of Barnabas. Help us to learn today how to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family members, and our world toward kingdom success. For your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. One of the, the joys I see among some of you of our young parents, our, our young dads, as I kind of miss those days when my children were small. Now, some of you are sitting here going, man, I can't wait till they grow up. But I, I miss those days when they were small. And one of the joys I, I miss is just being able to walk up behind them. It may be at the Comer Christmas Parade that's coming up, right? It may be uh, on, on a trip to the zoo or in the mall where some kind of activity or something is going on and they can't see what's going on. So what does dad do? He picks them up and he puts them on his shoulders, and he helps them to see something that they couldn't see. He helps them to see something they might have missed out on. Now, when they get older, that gets a little bit more difficult, right? Because they get older, they get bigger, and we get older, and those shoulders and everything don't hold up like they used to hold up. Maybe they're saying, Dad, can you please put me on your shoulders? And you're going, you're 17 now. I'm not going to put you on my shoulders. But you, you lift them up, and you do your best, you know, to help them to see something they could not have seen without dad's shoulders. And I love that image when I see that. And um, I, I think about how spiritually we need people to come along in our life who will help us to see what we would not see. They, they spiritually put us on their shoulders and say, look at what I'm enjoying. Look at what I'm seeing. They, they lift us up. And just as it gets physically more difficult to do that sometimes when you get older. If we're not careful, it becomes spiritually more difficult to do that as we grow older. We, we, we lose those eyes of faith that we see in children that believe God for big things. That's why perhaps we are supposed to come to Christ with childlike 
faith, but encouraging others toward seeing what God wants to show us can become more difficult as we get older in life if we're not careful. God created us with a need for shoulders. God created us with a need for people in our life, and sometimes that need is for a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes uh, that need is for a shoulder to put your arm around and say, I'm with you. But often it's, it's the need for somebody to spiritually and emotionally lift us up and say, look at what you're missing. Look at what God is doing. I want you to see it. Barnabas, again, is all over the book of Acts. Among the growth and expansion of the early church under the power of the Holy Spirit doing this new thing, establishing this new covenant lives of people, and Barnabas is helping and encouraging all along the way. What can we learn from Barnabas? So many directions we could go this morning with Barnabas. I just want to share a couple or three with you this morning. Number one, learn to see the best in people. Learn to see the best in people. Now, I know that we are all depraved and sin-fallen by birth. But even in our sin-fallen nature, even in our depravity, we're still people creating the image of God. But for those of us who are believers, those of us who have been redeemed by the grace of God, God is doing something special in us. When Paul says, work out your own salvation with, with fear and trembling, that's mining language. He says, dig deep down and work out something special that God has planted in you. And Barnabas had the ability to see inside of people and to see what God was capable of. That name, as we see in this passage here, is a transliteration from the Hebrew. From two Hebrew words, bar meaning the son of, nabe, which we, we, we get really prophet from. It, it, it's, it's the word for prophet. And I would have read this understanding a little bit of Hebrew as son of a prophet, But Luke translates it, son of encouragement. And those ideas are combined in this text to express someone that has the ability to see the potential in someone, like a prophet, to see what what God is going to do and God can do with someone. And in addition to that, like a prophet, but also like a friend, speak courage into their life. And so he translates this, get it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, a word that's transliterated, now being translated as son of encouragement, like a prophet and like a friend, he saw the best in people. He saw the best in Paul when the apostles couldn't. So you're going to have to flip some pages with me, but turn over to Acts chapter 9, just a few pages there in your New Testament, or scroll down to Acts chapter 9, and look at verses 26 through 30. Now, people had a right to be a little bit afraid of Paul. After all, he was having Christians executed. He was persecuting the church. God radically saved him on that road to Damascus when he saw the light. Verse 26 says, when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him, and he brought him to the apostles, and he explained to them how on the road Saul had seen the Lord, and that he had talked to him 
and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea. They sent him off to Tarsus. They they begin to take up for Paul here because Barnabas had said, listen, I, I know that this is a radical thing for them to embrace you, but man, let me encourage you to come with me and let me encourage them to embrace you and together, man, this thing is going to be dynamite. Man, isn't that wonderful that somebody could look at someone who might have been anything but a man of God to them and, and Barnabas sees the best in Paul. He sees the potential in Paul when the apostles didn't. Not only that, he saw the best in Mark when Paul couldn't see it. We see that there's an issue there, an argument going on, even between Barnabas and Paul later on. But in Acts chapter 15, flip over about six more chapters with me to Acts chapter 15. Look at verses 36 through 39. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go down, or let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had had not gone on with them to the work. It's like Paul is saying, man, Mark, he messed up. Mark had his opportunity, and what did he do? He, He held with us for a little while, but he didn't endure, and he blew it. There was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Could you imagine how that conversation went? Here's Barnabas saying, come on, Paul, let's get Mark. Paul said, Mark blew it. And Barnabas all of a sudden is saying, wait a minute, let's give him another chance. Barnabas saw something valuable in Mark, even though Mark had blown it in the past and said, said, man, I'm ready to to minister with this. And and they disagreed so sharply, we're not told what that whole conversation entailed except for that entailed sharp disagreement. But I could imagine it was something like this. I could imagine Barnabas saying, Paul, the way you feel about Mark, there were some people who felt that way about you one time. And and now, Paul, you've uh, you've understood and experienced the grace of God. Don't you think we should show some of that grace to Mark? And and Paul was like, "I I don't think I can go there. Now, let's not be so hard on the apostle Paul. He would bounce back. Not only that, Barnabas himself struggled at times. You don't have to turn there, but in Colossians chapter 2, Paul had to go and correct Barnabas. He was, he was not surprised that he had to correct Peter and some of the other apostles because of their legalistic tendencies and, and, and getting away from grace. But he said, even Barnabas, I had to even confront Barnabas because he had forgotten the grace of God. And now here, Paul is not showing grace. And Barnabas is saying, man, I see something in Mark. And, and I see something so much in Mark that I'm willing to say, I'm, I'm going to give him another shot. So we all struggle from time to time. And, and we, we, we fail to see the best in people. Paul would catch on later, wouldn't he? You remember when, when Paul's there under house arrest and he says, hey, send Mark. He's profitable. 
I need him. And it's nothing like being in a place of great need and, and, and struggle and, and desperation to realize that there were some people in our lives that we didn't see the best in, and all of a sudden we, we need them again. Don't take the people in your life for granted. Learn to see the best in people. That could be that child that God has placed in your home for you to raise, or it could be that child that God has put in your group on Wednesday nights in our Awana ministry. And everybody else is saying, Lord, help us. We don't know what we're going to do with this kid. And God is saying, that might be the next Apostle Paul, or that might be the next pastor at Trinity Baptist Church. Learn to see the best. Aren't you glad that somebody saw the best in you somewhere along the way and gave you a shot? You know, there are a few people in our church that are extremely resourceful. I'm not one of them. But, but I think, thank God for people. I, I think of like uh, Donnie and Stephanie Drake. Before we throw anything away around here, sometimes I want to say, Donnie, is this good for anything? Because, man, what might be one man's trash is another man's treasure. And he'll say, man, this, this is what that could be used for. Man, that's, that's good. That, that, that's great. Uh, people like uh, Misty Behrman, I think Misty sees stuff and she can see the art in it and the value in it and how it can be transformed. I, I don't see stuff like that. I, I struggle with that. I'm so glad that there are people that can look into the lives of other people and see the treasure that they are. I'm reminded that God doesn't make any junk. Or let's say it like we learned to say it growing up here in Georgia. My God, don't make no junk. And so when we learn to see the best in people, it may be the person who crosses you the wrong way at work or at school, but you begin to pray, God, give me the eyes of Christ and help me to see the best in them. Then you will be able to influence those people toward kingdom success. We must be that way with people. We need to see their gifts. We need to understand their personality and know how to pray for them, encourage them, and lift them up on our shoulders. Secondly, not only was Barnabas a great encourager because he saw the best in people, but he knew how to add fuel to the fire that God had started. Be someone who not only sees the best in people, But when God has sparked something in them, know how to add fuel to that fire. Sometimes we're so jealous of what God's doing in their life that we throw cold water on that fire. Turn to Acts chapter 11. We'll see how that Barnabas did this with an entire faith community here. Verses 22 through 26. This is the church in Antioch, which is one of the great... I know the church in Jerusalem is a great study for church growth, but the church in Antioch really is a great study for church growth in the 21st century. So it's then the report about them, this church that was growing, reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. Note, they, they sent Barnabas. They didn't choose somebody who would be... Uh, part of that Baptist cold water committee to quench the spirit. They said, this is a good thing that's happening in Antioch. And we don't want to be jealous of Jerusalem and what God's doing over at Antioch. So, so let's send Barnabas because he will be purposeful. He will be intentional and he will encourage them. 
You ever seen God at work somewhere and, and, and somebody try to throw cold water on it instead of fuel the fire of what God was doing? Maybe it's a teen who comes back from a, a youth conference and, man, they've got this renewed passion for Christ and their parents tell them why it's not going to last. And they want to say, Mom, Dad, let me tell you what God did in my life. And they say, oh, but you didn't clean your room before you left. At the time that they had an opportunity to throw fuel on the fire that God had started, they're throwing cold water. Maybe it's the vision of a pastor or a leader in a church. I remember it's been... Now, now, around 15 years ago, I, I remember as a young pastor here meeting with one of our ministry teams, and we had a vision for God doing something. We prayed about it. It was a direction we believed our church should go in. And, and talking with our deacons, and we were saying, man, here's what God's doing. This is great. And some others that it involved, and then sharing that with the church. And then I get a phone call from a church member. Now, don't look around to figure out who it is because they haven't been here in a long time. But I get a call from a church member trying to explain to me, and by the way, they were not in those meetings and they were not even at church that Sunday morning. And I get a call from a church member trying to tell me why we were missing God on this issue. Here's why this is not what God's doing. And I got just a little bit in the flesh, I have to admit. And I said, you mean to tell me as I've been praying and and have this vision, this direction, and as I've met with this particular ministry team, and we have a vision for this direction, and we were on our knees praying together, and I shared it with our deacons, and they were yay and amen, and we shared it with the church. And this morning we had a time of corporate worship, seeking God's face and seeking God's direction. The one who wasn't even here involved with all of that, who missed out on corporate worship, who missed out on the body life, you're telling me that you hear from God and we missed it. And so many times, I can't tell you, if you desire to do something for God, I guarantee you, every time there's a a powerful movement of God on Sunday at Trinity Baptist Church, somebody's going to show up on Monday to throw cold water on it. That's why you need to pray for the leadership, pray for the ministry teams in this church, that we will have a passion from God that people will throw fire on that. Listen, Barnabas came to fuel the fires here. The report has gone out. They send Barnabas. Look at verse 23. When he arrived and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And the large, num- large numbers of people were added to the Lord. He came in as a man with character, full of faith, not jealous of what God was doing, but saying, man, let me just throw some fire on what God is doing. By the way, we did as a church move in that direction, and we've continued to grow and reach our neighbors and nations the next generation because of it. Look what Barnabas is saying here in verse 25. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, who became known as Paul, right? And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church, and they taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Man, this was a disciple-making church so much so that they were saying, you little Christs. By the way, it was a derogatory term from the world, but they were saying, you act like a bunch of Jesus people. And that's what they were doing. 
He was establishing that. Barnabas said, you know what? Man, this is awesome. I don't want to keep it all to myself. Paul needs this, and I believe they need Paul. And so I'm so glad that God allows that to happen. You know, as, a, as pastor of this church, it takes, and I realize this constantly, it takes a team. You know, we couldn't do what we do without everybody being involved. And I am so glad. Sometimes uh, Jeff Branson and Ben Smith are like the Aaron and her in my life holding my arms up. As the Israelites, as the body of Christ does battle all over this world for the glory of God. And they throw fuel on that fire of what God is doing. And I want to be the same way. I want to throw fuel on the fire of what God is doing in this place, in your family, and wherever he takes you. I couldn't serve this church without our deacons and others who minister. You might see me on, on the platform on a regular basis. Our, our chairman of the deacons, Chris Hill back here, and his wife, Amy. I've just used them as one example. I could have chosen so many of you. But what they've done behind the scenes over the past few weeks sometimes blows my mind. It throws fuel on my fire. It says, I want to be a better pastor because of their servant hearts. I couldn't make disciples without our life groups and Awana leaders and others that help people study the Bible and build community in small groups. That throws fuel on the fire. And so Barnabas said, man, this is great. We just need more help. Let's go get Paul. This is going to be good for Paul, and Paul's going to be good for them. Let's don't be people who extinguish that fire. Let's throw fuel on the fire when God's doing something in somebody's life. My son Kent's not here to defend himself, but when he was little, I remember him learning fire safety at school. Man, he took that fire safety class so seriously that the first time Tina was cooking and set off the smoke alarm when he was about five or six years old, I guess he was in kindergarten when they did this fire safety class at ACS, but she's cooking in the kitchen and she sets off the smoke alarm, and he goes running out onto the back porch, and he gets out there, and he's going, come out, come out, we've got to get out of the house, we've got to stop, drop, and roll. That means there's a fire. We're like, no, son, it's no big deal. But he would literally go around the house when he was little. If we had a candle burning anywhere, and he'd blow it out. Mom lit another candle, blow it out. He'd see a candle burning. We never had to worry about going to bed at night with a candle burning because he was going to blow it out. And my wife likes to burn a lot of candles. You'd think we were Catholic if you were in my home, but she keeps candles burning. And, and when he was, up until recently, I mean, he would see those fires, blow it out. It's dangerous. Just blow out the fire. There are some Christians like that. Every time there's a spark, there's a fire going, they feel like it's their job. Blow it out. Blow it out. Blow it out. Don't be that way. Throw fuel on the fire of what God is doing and ignite that passion. See the best in others and add fuel to the fire that God has started. And finally, make an investment to reinforce your words. Don't just say, hey, you've got this. I want to be an encourager. You can do this. Make an investment. Let's go back to the, where we started in Acts 4. Barnabas is on the scene there, 
these early disciples. God's about to do a great work here. Verse 37 says, he sold the field that he owned and he brought the money. He laid it at the apostles' feet. He says, here's some seed money. God's doing something here. It is so obvious. I'm going to invest in this. I believe in this mission. Turn over to chapter 13. Remember we said that Barnabas believed in Paul before the other disciples could see it. He saw the best in him, right? He saw the best in him so much that he's going to travel with him. In the first, verses 2 and 3 there, as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. Then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. When Barnabas saw the best in Paul, he was willing to say, Listen, here I am. God's sending me with you. Let's go do what God's called us to do. And so he was mentoring Paul along the way. And then even when they parted company, it was because he saw something in Mark. And after, in chapter 14 of Acts, he even risked his life with Paul to invest in that ministry. Now he would go and continue that ministry by making a disciple of Mark. He didn't just speak up for Paul. He didn't just speak up with Mark. He didn't just speak up for the disciples. He said, I believe in this. Here are my resources. Here's my life. I'm invested in this. Invest in that mission trip for your teenager to go on. Invest in that cause that your church is behind. And then go with them. Mentor that young couple that's new in the faith. Mentor that young couple that are new parents and trying to figure it all out. Spend some time with them. Invest in them. Provide some resources for them along the way. Invite them into your home. Share your stories and what God taught you from those good decisions and from mistakes you made over the years. Invest in them. It's kind of like that, that ham and egg breakfast, right? We know that with a ham and egg breakfast, the chicken has made a contribution, but the, but the pig, he's invested, <laughs> He's given it all. Think of this. Jesus came into this world to give his life. He loved you so much. And by the way, I I know that it's fun to say God believes in us whether we believe in him or not. But ultimately, God believes in what he can do with us. God believes in his power in us. And the Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame. And when he endured the cross and died for the sins of this world and was raised to life, the Bible says he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And if he so invested in you, if God so loved the world that he gave his only son, if Jesus so loved you that he gave his life, then you ought to feel encouraged this morning. But I pray that you'll take another step and be an encourager. And I pray that you'll join me in asking God to help you see the best in people, even those people that rub you the wrong way. Learn to see the best in them. And and when you've done that, Invest in their life. 
encourage them, lift them up on your shoulders and help them to see what God's allowed you to see. Would you bow your heads with me?